1: to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm,
0: this is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realize there might be something more between them. Watch Bridget in Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Mm.
1: Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, that would be me, Michelle Andrews, and Annabelle Lee, you're here too. That's me, hello. Hi guys, coming up on today's show, how many wedding dresses are too many wedding dresses? Ange and Brad's never-ending divorce hits another hurdle, the strangest kind of Instagram exchange emerges between Lisa Wilkinson and Khloe Kardashian, an investigation into whether J.Lo and Ben Affleck are properly trolling us, and then, finally, a conversation in the wake of The Bachelor airing about why we so
0: rarely give reality stars the benefit of the doubt. But first, Michelle, how was your week? My week was good. I want to send a message out to all the listeners who heard Benifa mentioned in the intro and say, just stick with us. I know some of you are tired, but in boy, stick with us. In fairness, I think most aren't, actually. I think most are on the train now. Dare I say. We advocated for this story from the earliest of days when it was embryonic and now people are on the train with us. Well, us and everybody else who, (laughs) who fell in love
1: with this story.
0: My week was good. I have a question to ask you both because I think I've had a bit of an internal psychological battle this week. Have you ever... Watched or consumed a piece of content, whether it's a TV show, a book, a podcast, where the male characters are just shit, like absolute trash, treat women awfully, and then feel anger towards your male partner, despite him doing nothing wrong. No.
1: <laughs> like probably, it sounds like something I would do. Like, i really, I, it's, is it kind of like waking up from a dream and being mad at the people in yes. the dream?
0: Like <laughs> when you get cheated on your dream and then you just have this irrational anger burning inside of you. I feel very, very sorry for Mitchell Reese this week because I am watching Love Island every night and I am reading Malibu Rising this month's book club pick every night as well. Both of those things, particularly Love Island UK, for anyone watching that show right now, have shitty, shitty men that just make you want to scream and like chuck a tantrum and blame all men for all the issues ever. And I just want to know that I'm not alone in being completely (laughs) irrational in that. Because I keep turning to him and be like, you, you're the problem. You need to like rally against the rest of the men who are all terrible out there. No, you're definitely alone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I kind of see what you mean. It's kind of like any man can be on your side as much
0: as they possibly want.
1: But you're still like you still don't get
0: it. You (laughs) still don't. You're one of them. It's it's hard because in Love Island, and I know you guys won't let me speak about this for too long because neither of you care. Basically what's happened is it's all the men together. And when you see that locker room banter and you see men just kind of bounce off each other and get more and more toxic when it's a shitty group of men all together, all drinking, it just makes you want to scream. And there's something about it where I'm like, all men are bad this week. All men are dead to me this week. Hello to all the men listening as well. So what's your recommendation? Is it Love Island? I don't have one. I've just been watching Love Island, reading Malibu Rising. I think I would recommend Malibu Rising, but we're going to be speaking about that this Saturday on the book club. Other than that, watch the Olympics. The Olympics is all I've been really doing other than those two things. Look, if you're going to ask me about my week, which is I knew I knew you were about to. <laughs>
1: the Olympics. The Olympics. Our bloody saviour. I mean, I love the Olympics every time they come around. I love the Comm Games. My dad used to take us to the bloody, like, world championships of swimming. Like, my, mm. my family love world competitive sport, I think. Yes. So the Olympics are like my Christmas. <laughs> I have been
0: obsessed I've had the television I've gotten to weird levels like before this all happened we would speak about the Olympics and you'd be like I'm obsessed with the Olympics and I'd be like yeah me too thinking we're on the same page (laughs) the Olympics began and it was like Zara just rocketed into the sky and I watched her from the ground being like okay I'm at a healthy level of obsession not literally can't talk about
1: anything else obsession in my defense I don't think lockdown has helped like I've had the television on from like 10 a.m to 10 (laughs) p.m every single day trying to get my work done as well and I've just learned so much I mean first and foremost big shout out to all the female Australian swimmers out there they are saving us they are holding our country together to be honest the female (laughs) athletes are Sam Kerr Jess Fox all of them amazing
0: all of our hopes ride on our female athletes and they're fucking amazing
1: there are a couple of things I want to talk about very quickly (laughs) about the Olympics before we move on one of my favorite things I'm learning
0: also I'm sorry I love that you're squeezing this in you literally pitched to me for our celebrity and pop culture podcast you're like should we do a main segment on the Olympics? (laughs) And all the best stories on the Olympics are like, Zara, I love you. Please come back down to earth. Like, we can save you. You know what? There are probably heaps of people listening to this thinking, that's what I wanted to (laughs) hear.
1: Anyway, my favourite thing at the moment is when an Australian wins bronze, which is an insane achievement. And the commentators are always like, you know, bronze on an international stage, nothing to sniff at. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it's not. But you're making it something to sniff at by making a point
0: of kind of like, how good is it? <laughs> Does anyone else feel uncomfortable by how brutal the gymnastics commentators are? It's like they could put one toe out of line and the commentators would be like, hmm, pretty disappointing for everyone back home." Yeah, <laughs> it looks like I do it. That is me as I'm watching that. Also, one thing I learned this week when it comes to
1: the race walking, so you know, fast walking. Yes. Do you have any idea how fast they go?
0: No, but I think I could do it. Do you think you could? <laughs> Maybe. Is the main rule that you can't have both feet in the air at once?
1: Yes, because do you remember, I think it was the Sydney 2000 Olympics, <laughs> Jane Savile. It's going to be hard to get her back, out about I think we've lost her for the next hour. Jane Savile was our walker and she had 200 metres to go before the end of the race. She was winning gold and she was red carded because one of her feet, yeah. like both of her feet were above. Do you remember that big controversy? Sure. <laughs> anyway, anyway, <laughs> sorry, my fun fact and then we will get to the celebrity. I think people might be I find this interesting. We'll poll them. We can (laughs) poll them tomorrow and find out. I found out that the world record for the 20 kilometre walk race is one hour and 16 minutes. 20 kilometres? Yes, to walk, which is, Michelle, it would be about... (laughs) Faster than any of us could sprint. And I was like, imagine going for a run and being overtaken by a walker.
0: That is insane to me. How do you become a professional walker? Like, as a child, are you walking to school and you're like, fuck, I am good at this? That took me three minutes. Google said it was going to take me
1: 12. I mean, if anyone wants to talk Olympics with me, please just jump into my DMs. I do have a quick recommendation and I'm really sorry about this. Is it
0: Olympics related? (laughs)
1: Kind of. Oh, my God. It's a 2018 episode of Desert Island Discs, my favourite podcast of all time. It is with Tom Daly. Do you both know who Tom yes, Daly is? Yes, I do. Is? He's the diver, isn't He's he? He's the diver. He's the hot diver yeah. from Britain that everyone's yes. obsessed with. So I, I think I first fell in love with Tom Daly when I was about 13. Yeah, loved him. I think a lot of people our age did. So Tom Daley has been at every Olympics since 2008. He's never won a gold medal. He won his gold medal on Tuesday. I don't know if you guys saw the photo of him on the podium with two little tears coming oh, out of his eyes. How
0: have you turned your recommendation <laughs>
1: to another fun Olympics <laughs> Anyway, so I re-listened to his episode of Desert Island Discs and it is amazing. He's had such an incredible life, not particularly easy. And neither of you are listening to me, you're just pissing yourself. I might call
0: Ollie after this recording and be like, how are you holding up, <laughs> <laughs> I've just never seen you speak for what, like eight minutes <laughs> so enthusiastically with your eyes glistening. <laughs> have you ever
1: loved anything as much as you love the Olympics? It's fucked, because Ollie and I work in different rooms in lockdown, and when he comes out, I have all these fucking Olympics facts that I need. <laughs> I need to get off my chest because there's no one else to listen
0: and he just nods. <laughs> he just nods. Hey, before we get into today's first segment, we do want to encourage you guys to go respond to our shameless listener survey. We do this every year to get a better understanding of who you are, what you like all of that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. We put this out every single year so that we can make sure that we're tailoring everything we do to stuff that you guys like. We want to be listening and learning, particularly when it comes to potentially brands that we're working with or kinds of content that we're putting out. So that will be on our Instagram stories. If you want to participate in that survey, it will take you five minutes. I love a good, easy survey. They're fun. They
0: are fun. <laughs> I love that we're selling this to them as fun. Not There's nothing in it for you guys. You're really just doing us a solid. Yeah, so <laughs>
1: yeah just do us a favour. Anyway, let us jump in to our first segment of the show. Mish, we are starting with Lady Kitty Spencer
0: and her 400 wedding dresses. Well, to be specific, her seven wedding dresses. Annabelle, have you been across this story at all? No, but I love a good wedding dress story. So do we. So (laughs) do we. So if you're wondering who the hell is Lady Kitty Spencer, I imagine the name might be ringing some distant bells for some of you. She is the niece of Princess Diana. So she's 30 years old. Everyone you might remember lost their... Their sweet minds over her when she attended Harry and Meghan's wedding. A few years ago, she wore emerald green, and people took photos of her, and then they went viral online because not only does she look like Princess Diana. She looks like a fucking supermodel. She looked royal
1: as well. Like, I I know that most people look royal going to those weddings, but she looked incredible. She is a model. She has 630,000 followers on Instagram. And last weekend, she married Michael Lewis. Michael
0: Lewis. Mish,
1: Michael Lewis is a fashion tycoon. He is a multimillionaire. They have been dating for three years, and he is 62, which is actually five years older than her father, Charles Spencer, which was Diana's brother, of course. Yeah,
0: I think he also has children who are very very similarly aged to Kitty Spencer. So interesting dynamic there. I mean, love who you want to love, but it is a little bit uncomfortable, I think, introducing your fiancé slash new husband to your dad when your fiancé is older than him. Yes, it might be uncomfortable for the first couple of minutes, but I, I would hope most mature people would just smile and get on with it. Yes, yeah, So like any multi-millionaire and... Royal getting married. They opted for a 17th century Italian castle. And I really want to read out the opening passage from Vogue because I think this really sums it up very well. The Italian Baroque style estate was, of course, breathtaking and the ceremony's guest list just as impressive. V. Countess Emma Weymouth. I dr- <laughs> Sorry, I'm just remembering. <laughs> Do you remember
1: when we pronounced it? Viscount? <laughs> Podcast like a year ago and people have
0: never let us forget. Similarly, when we pronounced, wasn't it, Vermouth or something? Uh, We pronounced sweet vermouth, vermouth. Yes. (laughs) It's just a struggle when half your talking is captured by microphones. And you guys think we're experts on anything. There was also Idris Elba and his wife Sabrina. May Musk and pop star Pixie Lott. Dare I say these are a bunch of like highbrow socialite celebrities that we're not very well versed with. They were among the famous few in attendance as were her younger sisters Per Vogue, Lady Amelia and Lady Eliza but it was Spencer's bridal wardrobe that many would consider the ceremony's true headliner.
1: Yes so when we're talking about this Lady Kitty Spencer wore seven Dolce and Gabbana dresses so we're talking two looks for the rehearsal dinner lead up and then five
0: looks on the actual wedding day. Five wedding looks. And we're not talking like just pop on a new white dress, head out. We're talking like from head to toe, custom couture, out there, Dolce & Gabbana looks that would have taken so long to get in and out of. Some of these had capes. Some of them had very intricate like head pieces, headwear. We are talking like out there fashion. I'm just interested
1: because I can understand wanting to have like one or two wedding dresses if you can afford it, if you really like a bit of variety in your life, Mm. a bit of spice on your wedding day.
0: (laughs) But five
1: is like you would spend half the day in the change room rather than talking to anyone, right?
0: What I do appreciate about these wedding dresses, though, is that it wasn't that she just went for the typical stuff. She really made this a bit of a fashion moment. So we had one wedding dress that was kind of reminiscent of Kate Middleton's wedding dress. You guys might remember it full length lace sleeves, quite a high neck. Cinched in bodice, full skirt. We had a dress very, very similar to that. We had another that was kind of off shoulder and floral. We had a strapless blue gown with flowers on it and a matching cape. We had a green ruched bodice with a full white skirt, a cap sleeve mini dress with 3D flowers. Like, <laughs> she really got the brief. She was like, I'm getting married. People say this is the day in my life where I can go all out. Here, a five exquisite looks. I'm just going to smash it out of the park. It is insane. Also, how much money would this cost? Well, she is an ambassador of Dolce & Gabbana, so this would have all been free. But how much would these wedding dresses be worth is another equation entirely. They should be in a museum or something. Exactly. It is interesting with wedding culture as someone who is literally going to try on wedding dresses over the next couple of weekends. It is an interesting development that now we have this expectation that people probably wear two dresses. Like the bar for weddings just keeps on getting higher and higher. And I don't think it's until you're engaged or until you're planning a wedding that you feel yourself get sucked into it. Like I feel like there's a vacuum above my head of the fucking wedding industrial complex being like, but you might need a saxophone player at your ceremony. Hey, or I like, play saxophone. <laughs> do um, you? I used to in high school.
1: Oh my God, done. Let's actually do this.
0: But you feel this pressure where you're like, maybe I can't just have one dress. Maybe I need two dresses. And the standard just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And then you look at fucking celebrities like this and you're like, now it's five dresses. Yeah, now there's no way I'm going to be able to keep up. I feel like you do have a vacuum sucking you and I'm
1: under both your arms <laughs> trying to pull you back up. I'm literally like to Michelle every day. Do not do
0: it. Do not get sucked in. I'm getting sucked in i'm so sorry <laughs> thank you next bitch and now it's time for the quick and dirty every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle zara olympics mcdonald what do you have for me oh thank.
1: oh she's so happy <laughs> <laughs> my first story lisa wilkinson just accused chloe kardashian of stealing pictures of her fruit so that's
0: new that is from pedestrian tv What a story here. What a story where you end up with two celebrities from completely different universes that you never thought would land in a headline together. It's pretty funny. So we've got the main players here that is Chloe Kardashian
1: and the project host, Lisa Wilkinson. And of course, a photo of some fruit baskets taken in Positano in 2019. So what's actually happened here, Mitch? So
0: what has happened here is that this is a photo that Lisa Wilkinson put on her grid Years ago, like two years ago, probably didn't think much more about it. It's a beautiful photo, lemons look exquisite, very Instagram worthy. Then last month, Goop, as in Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle blog, reached out to Lisa Wilkinson and said, we found this photo from 2019. We know it's yours. Can we repost it and credit you? To which Lisa Wilkinson was so excited. She posted another feed post, (laughs) like a screenshot of that message and said, Absolutely, Gwyneth, basically take my soul if you want From there, yesterday, Khloe Kardashian uploaded to her Instagram story the same photo as if she was the taker of the photo and as if she was standing in front of the fruit baskets and it was just like... Here's what's happening in my day today. How odd. I mean, is Chloe Kardashian even in Positano right now? Well, can you be in Positano right now? I, I think know. the Kardashians
1: I think, can. <laughs> I think
0: Annabelle's right. I think the Kardashians can be wherever they want to be. I don't know where she is. All I know is that someone then DM'd Lisa Wilkinson, like a keen hawk-eyed fan of Lisa. And that is a hawk-eyed fan of Lisa, <laughs> if I've ever heard this of is, one. This is Stan energy. Someone saw it, messaged Lisa and asked, is this your photo on Khloe Kardashian's? story, to which Lisa Wilkinson screenshot that question, put it up in her own Instagram story and said, yes, this is definitely my photo blown up with no credit, question mark, question mark, question mark, and tagged Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) And do we think Chloe Kardashian is responding to this? (laughs) Well, the thing that gets me, I'm like, why? Like, it's just an Instagram story. Why do you need to be stealing photos of other people's holidays? I feel like this must run rampant on Instagram. I believe this happened to an Australian influencer. This is, this, is, this, is, sorry, this is exactly what I'm thinking. I saw a twinkle in your eye I'm yeah. like this story.
1: <laughs> there was a former Australian reality star, now influencer, who uploaded a photo. I think it was last year or either earlier this year last year. And it was kind of the silhouette of a woman, I think. And And a man dancing, I think. Yes. And everyone assumed it was her. And then other people, sleuths, were like, hang on a second, this is a random photo from another influencer. (laughs) Like a Russian influencer with 5 million followers. Internationally. And I was like, I didn't realise people did this. Like take photos, pretend they're their own photos and also
0: their own life. Interesting as well that you want to carve this idea of perfection to the level that you're doing it on your Instagram stories. Like you don't just want people to think you're living your best life on your grid, your highlights real. You want people to think your everyday existence is just filled with
1: beauty. Yeah, 100%. My second story. Kanye West blasted by fans for charging $67 for chicken tenders at album launch party. That is from News.com.
0: What is going on with Kanye West? I've got to say before we jump into this story, I always feel a little bit trepidatious about covering Kanye West because we know that he has had mental health battles. We know that he has bipolar disorder and that he hasn't always managed that in the most conventional way. So before we jump into this story, I just want people to know like, I feel a little bit unsure or uneasy about how to cover this stuff, as I'm sure lots of people do. Totally agree. And it gets really
1: interesting because it becomes the intersection between his music now, like his new album is launching. People are desperate to know when it's coming out and that's where he's run into a bit of trouble. But let me backtrack to explain exactly how we got here. So Kanye West actually had a listening party last week to celebrate the launch of Donda, which is his new album. So it was held in this stadium in Atlanta and it's been a little bit mired in controversy ever since. First and foremost... He was criticised, even though I don't think Kanye West was making these decisions, (laughs) because he charged US $50 for chicken fingers, which is about (laughs) Australian $65. That is amazing. I really don't think Kanye West is sitting there ticking off the prices (laughs) of the
0: chicken tenders at the album launch. You know what that reminds me of? Like when you go to the MCG or a sport match and your mum, like my mum used to refuse to pay $8 for a meat pie. Absolutely. So she'd get a thermos, cook like sausage rolls at home in the oven and then pop them in the thermos and we'd all eat them instead of paying the exorbitant fees or prices for food at the actual stadium.
1: I'm jealous of that. See, I didn't even get hot food. It would just be <laughs> shitty sandwiches. Sorry, Mum. But 100%. And then there was also $88 for a snack basket at this album launch. So as you can imagine, headlines came out straight away. People were a bit like, lot going on at this album launch. Rumours also swirled about this album that there was a diss track, Kim Kardashian, on there. But it doesn't seem to be true at all. I think it might have just been a headline that was kind of whipped up to stir some controversy. She was actually at the launch with all her kids and she has reportedly listened to the song or the, the entire album before the rest of the world. They seem to be on relatively good terms. So I'm interested in why we want to kind of drive a wedge between them publicly.
0: Yeah, very amicable. They were even wearing matching red outfits, like head to toe red outfits outfits together, which I doubt was a coincidence. I mean, pretty flamboyant choice to go yeah. back to Red. I think they probably synced that up. So this album was actually meant to come out last July,
1: then it was postponed for a year and it was announced for July twenty three and then it was just never released after the listening party. So reports then surfaced that Kanye was camping out at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta where the listening party was occurring to finish off the tracks and now it's coming out in August 6th. So, so many delays and it's like, is this a half-finished album that's going to be put out?
0: Well, it sounds like it. Apparently the people who are actually at this listening party said it sounded a lot like demo tracks. It sounded pretty unfinished, kind of like a very amorphous idea that Kanye West had had with actually actually finishing any of the songs on the album he set up recording studios in this stadium. yes i don't know what kanye west loves so much about stadiums he proposed to kim kardashian in a massive stadium and now he's living in life. <laughs> so, yeah it's amazing. I mean I, I think that people will still probably
1: love this album because people love Kanye West mm-hmm. and he's done so much good work up until this point that there's sort of like an element of genius about him that even if you don't quite get it you're like oh yeah. Because <laughs> if you don't get it it's like he gets it though and he's probably far yeah. more wise than I am. <laughs> he knows. My third story. In a never-ending divorce Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt must now shop for a new judge. That is from Vanity Fair and Mish I'm exhausted reading this. Yeah
0: you You know that song where it's like it's the song that never ends it just goes on and on my friends we have the divorce you had a
1: rule on this podcast that podcasters don't sing (laughs) was
0: that classified as singing i think so there was some melody in there yeah there was some (laughs) rhythm and some melody eh? (laughs) was there a good tune though no
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no no it
0: wasn't great (laughs) so basically what's happened is that the divorce that is probably the longest running celebrity divorce that you and i have ever tried to cover zara is about to start all over again. So welcome to year five of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie trying to get out of each other's lives and failing. This all kicked off in September 2016 and we are finding ourselves here with a huge step backwards yet again. Yeah, so if you haven't actually
1: listened to our episode of Scandal on these two, what you should know is that this has been a very messy divorce since the absolute get-go. So it was actually nearing its conclusion. And what the two are doing is they actually hired a private judge to oversee this entire case. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, yes, you literally both hire a judge together to oversee the case, often a retired judge, so that you don't have to go through the courts. Because as you can imagine, when you go through the courts, everything is incredibly public. So this way it can kind of stay under wraps a little bit. But as you can also imagine, so incredibly expensive to
0: have your own private judge hired for five years before for firing him. Not including your own legal teams. You are literally paying through the teeth just to keep some details of your private lives sealed. And I mean, you can imagine why they would want to do this. They're mega, mega wealthy anyway, so they can afford it. But it is interesting once you get to the fifth or sixth year to figure out how much money has actually been injected into this divorce. So the latest on this is that last Friday, an appeals court ruled that their judge must be disqualified. The Court of Appeal in California agreed with claims made by Angelina Jolie's legal team that the judge, his name is John Outerkirk, did not properly disclose a business relationship with Brad Pitt's attorneys. So this has been festering for a little while.
1: We've known for a while that the judge had a business relationship with one of maybe Brad Pitt's lawyers. Mm. We're not entirely sure who. So yeah, he's been sacked. And now it feels very much like they've got to do it all over again. I mean, imagine you've got a new judge. You've kind of got to present everything as if it's fresh. Now, they're kids. They have Maddox, who's 19. So he's kind of out of the equation at the moment because he's over the age of 18, can make his own calls. They have 17-year-old Pax, who will also like arguably be an adult by the time this is over two. Zahara, who is 16, she might be too old old as well by the time this finishes. And then we have Shiloh who was 15 and then the twins Vivian and Knox who are 13.
0: Yeah so the majority of the children will be too old to even qualify for these proceedings. It's really unusual. Like the court just found that there should be joint physical and legal custody. That ruling now means shit. They need to start it all over again. God knows how long this will go on for. Yeah, well, it's already been
1: five years, another five years, and it's all completely irrelevant. Mm. And I can't imagine how much money is being spent on this. So not the happiest of, you know, news stories at all. I don't think anyone likes to hear that these things are going to be stretched on for anyone. It can't be a nice experience.
0: Yeah, we haven't heard from Angelina Jolie, but a representative for Brad Pitt did tell the media, we will continue to do what's necessary legally based on the detailed findings of what's best for the children. Which I think in the past had found joint custody. So I think that's what they're pushing. For
1: my fourth story. Farmer Wants a Wife Star. Haley Love
0: pregnant with Farmer Will's child. That is from News.com. That is a very tame headline from News.com for what is not the most tame story. So <laughs> this has actually just broken about an hour
1: before we've come on mic. So I've done a very quick job, Mish, trying to get across this wild story. A
0: quick and a semi-thorough job. There's not a heap of info out about this yet. We will try and get across the facts as much as we can. Let's start from the top, shall we? Please. With Farmer
1: Wants A Wife in general. Farmer Wants A Wife (laughs) is famous for being the most wholesome reality show that actually sets up loving, Relationships. They have nine marriages. It is my mother's favorite show in the world. And that is, I think, because she thinks it's the show that's most about love. Oh. Well, Trishy. Do we have a story for you? This story may accidentally sully the reputation of Farmer Wants a Wife as the wholesome show because as reported earlier this week by Megan Pistetto from So Dramatic, who almost always breaks these stories before the mainstream media. She's on it. That one of the women who appeared on the show, Hayley Love, is pregnant with Farmer Will's baby. The funniest part about this is Hayley Love wasn't actually on his farm.
0: Hayley was on Farmer Matt's farm. Right, so I have never watched this show, disclaimer. So listeners who are confused, I am right there with you. I am holding the baton for our (laughs) whole team and I will get us the information we need. When you go on Farmer Wants a Wife, they divvy up the women to the different farmers, you stick to your little perimeter of your little farm. Your zone. And that's your farmer and if you don't fall in love with that farmer, tough titties, back (laughs) home. (laughs) Oh my God.
1: Back home you go. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) yes, tough titties go home. Now... Sorry, I'm so distracted now. You are right. They go home <laughs> if they don't actually marry up with their farmer. Now, the story was actually confirmed by news.com. So, as I said, initially reported by Megan Pistetto of So Dramatic. Story was confirmed by News.com on Wednesday when Haley actually provided a statement saying, Yeah, I'm actually pregnant with Farmer Will's child. Haley is 25, Will is 39. Now, what's really unclear about this story mission makes it a little bit saucier, is whether Will actually cheated on the woman that he chose at the end, Jamie, with Hayley or whether the relationship was struck up after Will and Jamie were over.
0: Right, so I've done a little bit of research, not as much as you because you are in charge of today's Quick and Dirty, congratulations. Am I right in saying that Will met his now baby mama, Hayley? Yes. Or they like hooked up in between the filming of the season ending and the reunion episode ending? Filming. Correct. So in her statement, Hayley said, I got with Will after the
1: finale. So after Will had chosen Jamie, but before the reunion special. Now, some news outlets are reporting that Jamie and Will turned up to the reunion together. So as a couple? Well, it's not clear. I'm really fucking confused at the point that this, this is freshly broken. Oh. Haley did say in her statement, and I'll read it out to you. I am 22 weeks pregnant with Farmer Will's child. I started my relationship with Farmer Will in December before the reunion episode was filmed a few weeks later in January. He told me he wasn't with Jamie, and Jamie was in contact with me before the reunion. We started chatting online, then I visited him at his house in Longwood and when our sexual relationship started. He told me he had feelings for me, and I had feelings for him. From there, I saw him as often as I could. Now, it should be noted that the two aren't actually together anymore. Haley says they split after she found out she was pregnant. And even more interestingly, the reunion special hasn't actually aired yet. So we will find out
0: next week how Jamie and Will play it at the reunion. I also love that Farmer What's a Wife is like our wholesome golden reality TV and they're about to get Michelle Andrews watching her first episode purely because of the most salacious gossip to ever come out of the show. <laughs>
1: this is better than anything any other reality (laughs) show maybe mum was on the right wicket the entire time I mean we will keep you updated next week if more details come to the fore but that's what we've got for now. Farmer Will where are you we need your statement. And my fifth and final story Here we go, fam. (laughs) Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck taking us for a ride, an investigation. That is from Esquire. And boy, did these two give us some headlines this
0: week. They are truly giving the people what they want. In case you missed it, J-Lo turned 52 over the weekend. Happy birthday, J-Lo. We know you're listening. (laughs) She was looking extremely hot on a boat. So she was wearing this incredible bikini with like a matching sheer cover-up and she was looking stunning. Like I know that that's not the smartest point to make in the world, but J-Lo is looking hotter with every year and it seems to get more impossible just how beautiful she actually is. Also, I feel like Ben Affleck being on this boat with her, celebrating her 52nd birthday with her, makes him hotter by proximity. Ben Affleck's hot again and I only just realised it. I think you're absolutely right.
1: <laughs> I think it's an interesting question just outside the JLo lo Ben Affleck equation, right, is do you get hotter by proximity when you're around hot people or is yes. it just work with J-Lo?
0: I just, I look at him and I'm like, I find you hot again. I know that there are rumours that you treated your ex-wife terribly and potentially cheated on her with the nanny. I know that allegedly you haven't always been the best person, but I'm looking at these photos of you on a boat and I find you extremely attractive again. So j uploaded this carousel for her birthday. The
1: first few photos were of herself. And then the fourth photo in the carousel was her and Ben
0: Kissing. Kind of zoomed in, if I may. Smooching. Is that the <laughs> term Smooching, that you like? Yeah, yes, yes, term. <laughs> <laughs> the scientific terms only, please. <laughs> it is
1: our J Lo and Ben Affleck <laughs> official term. Now, it's not just that photo that people were talking about. There were also pap photos of them on the back of this boat. JLo's sort of lying on her stomach with her feet. Up, reading a book, and he is sort of lying ish behind her, but his hand is most importantly on her derriere. Oh, <laughs> her pert derriere, come on. That is the Daily Mail's official term. <laughs> and everybody is like, hang on a second, we've seen this photo before. This is almost an exact replica of a scene from one of JLo's old music videos.
0: Yes, specifically from the Jenny from the Block music video, which we know so well because that music video is a lot about J-Lo and Ben Affleck. This was back in 2002 when they were engaged and they played it up for the media. She sold this single, she sold this music off of her relationship and in the music video you see paparazzi following them. You see them living this like celebrity high lifestyle where they're on boats and they're at fancy dinner parties and they're living the life that we deem to be so aspirational. Now where people are raising their eyebrows is that it almost seems – like real life and the 2002 music video are syncing up a little too much. Like there is an almost freaky overlap with identical scenes coming to life. Yes. So
1: this Esquire story quotes a podcaster called Casey and Ange, who theorized that maybe they are doing like a shot by shot, trolling the entire world, recreating her music video for its 20th anniversary.
0: Yeah. Now, very, very interesting I mean, the first time I saw this theory floating around about a month ago, I completely discounted it. I was like, no, they're just living their life and they're living their best life at that. Now that we have an identical shot of Ben rubbing J-Lo's butt on a yacht that is identical, everything about it is identical to the music video, I do think it has some legs. I'm not sure how long those legs are. I think like tiny little ant legs at this point, not giraffe legs. But there is something here, perhaps. I agree with you. I think they are tiny, tiny ant legs.
1: But I actually think more than anything, they're probably just trolling us and having a good time. Mm. Like they're probably having the world's best time looking at how we're reacting to this. We are eating out of the palm of their hands. They probably just don't care about being public about it. Yeah. And don't mind recreating old photos
0: you know what as well I think this actually if they are trolling us which I think they absolutely are like we can all agree that they're playing this up for the public they know we're gonna lap this shit up and therefore they're like here you go have, have it some more have a little <laughs> bit more I don't think they're recreating a music video that's from 2002 because if it was 20th year <laughs> anniversary we're not gonna get this music video till <laughs> next year and music videos just do not take that long to produce also world's longest run-up oh world's <laughs> longest run-up like all All the claps just kind of die out by the end because everyone's like, what's actually happening? I do think this actually shows a side to J-Lo and Ben Affleck that is quite endearing. I think they are both kind of renowned as celebrities who could take themselves a little seriously, who might struggle to be self-deprecating or have a laugh at themselves. I think this shows a sense of humor. Like If they are literally trolling us and taking us all for the absolute fools that we are, I really fucking love it. I think it shows personality and wit that not every celebrity couple has.
1: We also don't see celebrities nearly as much lean into paparazzi and lean into publicity like they used to, and I love that too. But I agree with you. I think there's absolutely a sense of humour here, and I hope they keep it up. Annabelle, what do you think? Do you think we're being played for fools?
0: Probably, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah. i <having> <laughs> we're, <all, laughs> we're already fools anyway. We're all smiling. Yeah, push away. <laughs> hey, that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much.
1: Coming up after the break, why do we always assume the worst of reality TV contestants? But first, a word from today's sponsor.
0: Well, 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 The Australian Bachelor Season 9 premiered last week to half a million Australians and Episode 1 carried with it all the stuff we're used to seeing in Channel 10's marquee reality show. There were glittery dresses, saccharine soundtracks and cheesy pickup lines. Only this year, we had an additional storyline to spice things up. A front-running contestant with an Instagram post that convinced people she wasn't who she claimed to be. Zara, before we get there... Let's have a brief chat about the premiere episode of The Bachelor this year and of course your oracle predictions for the winner and the runner-up.
1: Well, it's obviously Holly. Holly got the absolute winners edit on the first (gasps) episode. It's
0: (laughs) absolutely holy. We we bow down at the altar of the oracle and this is our religion. (laughs) Holly, not holy. It's absolutely Holly.
1: (laughs) Did I do it right that time?
0: Great. She
1: is obviously got the win. I'm less convinced about the next one. I think occupational therapist Brooke is in the top three. Nutritionist Jay to come second, but everyone's come at me and said that Jay's not anywhere near it. So I might have been off with number two, but I think it's number one that's the most important
0: guess. Oh, we absolutely don't care really about number two and three. What I will say, and I have doubted your prediction skills in the past, I will never doubt your ability to pick the winner of The Bachelor. You have gotten nine from nine over our friendship (sighs)
1: Yeah, so true. I didn't get Brittany Hockley. I guessed Brittany Hockley that year, but there was no winner. So.
0: But I would say that doesn't count. Like You can't go, oh, he's not going to pick anyone. That would be absurd. <laughs> and I think Brittany was the one that he was like more thinking about. So I still give you the W on that. Oh, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, look, <laughs> I don't mind guessing The Bachelor. Also, after I sent the guesses in, you were like, yeah, I've
0: already checked sports bet. I'm like, Michelle, that's the cheaters guy. <laughs> you cannot do that. When have I ever gotten on this podcast and proclaimed that I have Oracle powers <laughs> at all? This is a you thing. i I've never said that I know shit. Have I proclaimed that I'm an oracle? Um, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
1: what? Yes, yeah, I, actually quite a few times. Now, what's really, really interesting about contestant Holly, who we said is our front runner, but also the country's front runner, is the minute the episode had aired, viewers very naturally jumped on social media, jumped on Instagram to try and find everyone's profiles, but of course hers as almost number one. I reckon it took me about 15 minutes between the show finishing for my group chats to be kind of lighting up with this photo of Holly surfacing.
0: Yeah, this photo was circulating everywhere. Group chats, Instagram stories, tweets, news articles. So it was a screenshot of a photo that Holly posted to her Instagram account in 2018. It showed her posing in front of an American flag, kind of like on a cliff edge, and it was captioned with a hashtag, M-A-G-A, MAGA, which is the abbreviated version of Donald Trump's most notorious political slogan, make America great again. Yeah, what was really interesting is the tone on our
1: post, which was our predictions for the winners, very quickly shifted to like there were vomit emojis. There were comments from people refusing to support what they had deemed a Trump supporter. We also received a bucket load of DMs from people asking us to weigh in on Holly's post or reshare it on our stories. And suddenly after that, headlines started to emerge, like this one from New Idea, which was The Bachelor's Holly Kingston under fire after old photo resurfaces.
0: Yeah, so this is interesting because we had a whole bunch of people coming to us saying, talk about this, what do we think about Holly being a Trump supporter, I'm so disgraced that Holly supports Trump, that it was almost like a fire just took off and ran wild before anyone pause to take stock of the fact that we had one old hashtag on an image that was posted three years ago. Yeah, the assumption straight away was not is this a joke
1: or was this ironic? But A, yuck, she is definitely a Trump supporter. This is fact. And B, therefore we shouldn't support her and she shouldn't win. I mean, we can spend hours and hours and hours of time debating about what being a Trump supporter actually means. But it seems curious in this case straight away that we made such fast assumptions in fact, that it was like, because this hashtag exists, therefore she supports Trump and therefore she endorses every single thing he's ever done.
0: What I feel like a lot of people did take into account was the tone of Holly's Instagram profile at large. All of her captions around that time in particular were sarcastic and very heavy on humour. Like she was often taking the piss out of herself. So it was interesting to me that people saw one image took that out of its context and went, this is who this woman is. Instead of going, this is her Instagram profile, this is her tone, she either, yes, could be a Trump supporter or could be a woman that's so far from a Trump supporter that she's taking the piss out of Trump supporters.
1: Absolutely. So very quickly, Holly actually had to release a statement of her own because she also doesn't have control over her Instagram at the moment. None of the contestants do. They are all controlled by a third party from Warner Brothers or Channel 10 at the moment. She said, the comment I made on my Instagram caption from 2018, which made reference to US politics, was made in jest... with complete sarcasm intended. It is fairly evident I use satire a lot on my social media platforms. This comment in no way, shape or form is an accurate representation of my political beliefs." I do think it definitely makes me wonder a lot about benefit of the doubt and how we have such a propensity to assume the worst in people in the public eye, but particularly reality stars and influencers. Like, I think we want to assume their intentions are terrible. I would go as far to say that there was a contingent of people who saw this and wanted it to desperately be true. Yeah. I mean, I want to
0: know why we jumped on this so quickly. I feel like we get excited when reality TV contestants are outed as like something they're not supposed to be. We definitely have this level of cynicism and this level of doubt and this real reluctance to trust any reality TV stars. So the moment we feel like, their mask has been ripped off and we're seeing the real them it's like titillating for the public we like every reality show ever there's this weird narrative of like who has an acting past like yes. who's an actor and not who she really like pretends to be on the show which also came out about holly I want to talk to you about this lack of trust because there is something when it comes to reality TV contestants that women in particular really do struggle with. You and I had a hunch after seeing this all unravel on social media. You and I were talking to each other and we were saying there's something about reality TV contestants that means that the public trusts them the least out of all kinds of celebrities. So we went in with a hypothesis and we thought, let's test this. I got on my Instagram story and I decided to poll my followers, 21,000 people people. people saw the story. We had over 12,300 votes. And I asked people, out of the following celebrity groups, which do you trust the least? I gave the option of athletes, musicians and actors, Instagram influencers, and reality stars. Now, almost everyone responded in either of the last categories. Almost all of the votes fell between reality TV stars and influencers. But what I found fascinating is that reality TV stars are the least trustworthy, more untrustworthy than Instagram influencers in the eyes of the public. 6,520 people listed that they trust reality TV stars less than Instagram influencers who fell behind around the 5,000 vote mark.
1: Initially, when we were talking about these results, I was actually a little bit surprised. I didn't think that reality stars would be distrusted more than influencers. I thought maybe they were going to sit on an even playing field. And so then when we started to have a conversation being like, why are these results how they are? We decided to ask a few follow-up questions, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the least likable trait in a public figure? Remarkably... The vast majority of respondents, 49%, said dishonesty and lying. The next trait was narcissism at 25%. So interestingly, as Australians, we don't seem to have as big of an issue with arrogance, ego, and narcissism as we do with dishonesty and lying. Mm. And what's curious and so fucking fascinating about these kind of stats and this kind of thought is that the biggest issue we actually have with reality stars and the biggest reason we don't actually trust them is because we feel like they've done no hard work. It's the perception of no hard work. Overwhelmingly, stunningly so. People hate the fact that reality stars apparently don't work hard, that they can just get 30,000 followers overnight. And at the very least, we as Australians have an intense desire for them to at least spend time building an Instagram following rather than just find one overnight.
0: Yeah, I'm going to read out some of our listener explanations for this because I did ask people, tell me why you don't trust reality stars. Some listeners came back with basically identical responses. One listener explained, It's probably not completely fair. TV stars typically haven't worked as hard to develop a following. You can get 20,000 followers overnight from being on one episode of The Bachelor. And so I feel like they are less respectful of their audience and less aware of their responsibilities as someone with a high-reaching platform compared to influencers who have built a following from zero. Another listener wrote in and said, it's because reality TV star's success is overnight as opposed to years of hard work and PR.
1: Another one said, no hate, but they've done the least to get into the public eye. And this is like very interesting to me because it's like, we don't really actually have an issue with fame. We have an issue with people who don't work for fame. Mm. There is something so intrinsic to our values clearly that we think as a baseline that people need to work for something. And it reminds me a lot of this kind of like rhetoric that someone like Scott Morrison pushes, which is have a go, you'll get a go. It's like so baked into who we are that we actually care so much more about how much someone is working than whether they're a narcissist. Yeah,
0: it's like that Aussie worker narrative of like, You lace up your boots, you get to work. We are fine, according to all these responses, according to the results from these polls. We actually feel pretty fine now with influencers who work hard and take their job seriously. We are not fine with people who just hit the luck ticket and get like on their merry way to Instagram fame overnight. But why do we think it's luck? Because, And I'm asking myself this too because it's an interesting
1: hill we want to die on. And for the record, I am similar. I think I intrinsically believe that you need to work in order to deserve things generally. But it's an interesting hill we want to die on because it's like, well, these people have to go through an audition process. They have to have the kind of right kind of personality, the right kind of charm to light up a camera in a reality TV setting so that we tune in and watch. Why do we assume there's no talent and work there? And also, let's assume that there is no work there. Let's assume there's none why does that matter? Like Mm. they're not hurting anyone. So why do we feel so viscerally about it? The last question we asked people was, who do you actually trust the most of reality stars? Because there are a few that have built incredible careers and have incredible audiences. Overwhelmingly, the answer was Abby Chatfield. Mm. Like that came out I don't think anyone's surprised by that. But also we had Brooke Blurton, Martha Califatitis, Laura and Maddie J, Georgia Love as well. And I was like, these people have the most obvious characteristics in common. You've got Brooke Blurton is well known for her social work, Georgia Love for her journalism, Abby Chatfield for her podcast and social commentary, Maddie J and Laura have built podcasts of their own, businesses of their own. For their parenting as well. I think
0: people have seen the success of their relationship and go, wow, they've really built something. Agree with that. Martha is
1: well has built a really incredible influencing career out of this. And also I think one thing that almost all of these people have in common is an intense level of self-deprecation. All of these people don't hesitate to take the piss out of themselves or to not take themselves very seriously, which I also think is a very deep-seated value of Australians that we need to see people in the public eye not take themselves too seriously, especially
0: when it comes to reality stars. I wonder if it would actually endear us to a Bachelor contestant if once they get control of their Instagram account back, they can have the self-awareness to say, I went on this show because it was going to help my career. Like, no, I wonder we fucking hate that. <laughs> we would hate that. But is that not being honest? Yes. Like, is it not rallying against what a lot of people find annoying, which is I'm on this show for love, I'm doing this all with really pure intentions? Wouldn't there be a part of us looking at these results that appreciates someone being honest for once? Because what we're seeing at the moment is Dozens and dozens of reality TV show contestants every year telling us a lie. You're not going on this show to find love. It might be one of your secondary motives. Everyone going on reality TV in 2021 is predominantly going on that show because they can see the various perks that potentially wait for them at the end. Yeah. And it also, in fairness, I think just being a new, interesting experience. Like I
1: do think a lot of people would be like, I'm in a bit of a rut. This is completely new and fresh. Why wouldn't I try this? That said, I, I don't know if we'd respond that well to someone coming out and doing this because I think still overwhelmingly the number one problem is that they're not working for it and that mm. is just proof that they're not working for it. Like work is at the centre of this and that's what I find so fascinating.
0: Annabelle. Yes, Out of those list of four celebrities, so we had athletes, musicians and actors, influencers, reality stars. Who do you trust the least? I picked reality TV stars. Mm. And I think it's because, as you guys say, there's like probably a hint of jealousy in there because of the luck, like the luck it took for them to get on those shows. And even though it's like, oh, they're on those shows and we kind of think a little bit less of them, there's a small part of us that's like, how come I didn't end up on a show like that and like find love and fame and all of that. It comes so easy to them. I think as well, we've got to note that the casting process is not always a fair one. The kinds of people picked to go on these TV shows fit a certain mould and if you don't fit that mould and you're not given these opportunities, that would naturally breed resentment in the people who do fit that mould and get those spots time and time again. No, I think that's
1: absolutely right and it's probably been a blind spot in this entire conversation is that there is definitely a type of person and it is easier for a type of person to kind of rise through the ranks of reality TV but then maybe that's also... The media in general, Mm. like maybe there is just a mold in the media in general, but it is really interesting because I think when this Holly story came out, the only thing I could think of is why are we assuming the worst? Why don't we trust that her intentions might have been ironic or sarcastic? And this helped really explain that to me. Same here. Guys, I think that's all we've got time for. Yeah, same. Guys, thank you so much for listening as always. If you want to support the show, click that green follow button on Spotify and subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. That one's purple in case you need the colour coding. <laughs> leave we are, us a five-star rating if yeah, you want to Yeah, well. leave, leave us a review if you are so inclined. We are also on Instagram. Shameless Podcast, and we'll be back in your ears on Saturday for our book club episode, team. Woohoo! I'm so excited to talk about it! (laughs) I'm so excited. Thanks so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Saturday and then
0: Monday. Woohoo! Bye, guys. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co founder of Shameless Media.